0: Rolling blackouts, skyrocketing electricity prices, drought, coal mines closing, shipping issues. Will we run out of energy here in America? We're going to explore this question when we come back. Welcome to the Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way, where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley.
1: Well, hello and welcome to episode number 251. We're talking about will the United States run out of energy. Did you know that one half of the lower 48 states are now under warnings of outages or rolling blackouts due to generation capacity.
0: Yeah, I was surprised when I read that.
1: They are cutting back in a lot of places with some brownouts, actually rolling blackouts. What we're seeing is already some systems calling upon conservation of electricity, especially during peak hours. Don't use that time to cook on your electric stove. Turn your air conditioner up a few degrees. Or off. Or off, which isn't going to happen here in the South with 95 degrees and 80% humidity. Mm -hmm. Not going to happen. We've turned ours up a little bit, but we're going to stay somewhere near comfortable. We don't mind doing our part. Krista changes the times of when she uses the electric stove and use it. Less, if we possibly can, by using your slow cooker.
0: Mm-hmm. Or just be having what we call a cold plate.
1: Yep, we've here, had a few cold plates. Here in the South,
0: that's chicken salad, coleslaw, and potato salad.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and pretty good. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing is that there is a decrease in the stability of the electrical system. It comes from a number of things, but partially because of that, the Federal Energy Regulation Commission is predicting that electric prices could rise, get this, 225% or more over last year's prices.
0: That's a pretty skyrocketing jump mm-hmm. in a very short span of time.
1: We've already seen a significant rise in our power bill, mm-hmm. and not just because of the seasonal. Right, right. But, uh, you know, some hydroelectric power plants are already experiencing difficulty due to the severe droughts.
0: Yeah, they're talking about um, the rivers. And the water systems out west that depend on that water energy to make those turbines run, Mm -hmm. these lakes and rivers are so low, that drought situation is actually impacting the output of those hydroelectric plants, and now it's getting severe.
1: Yeah, and I read something the other day, and I've forgotten how many feet that it actually was in water level, but if it gets to a certain level, they may have to shut down the Hoover Dam power plant. Oh, my word. Now, how many will that affect?
0: That that powers all of the Las Vegas area and all of that region through there. Oh, my word. That's serious.
1: And we've already seen a number of coal-fired electrical plants taken offline. And this is according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. They've taken 12.6 gigabytes of capacity offline.
0: Wow.
1: And like we mentioned, not only are they experiencing water issues, but these remaining plants are experiencing difficulty obtaining fuel, particularly coal.
0: I understand that the coal mine industry as a whole is being affected. Some of the mines are outright closing. Others are on short time. Their production is being curtailed. They're having shipping and supply issues. So this is a domino effect, you know, one to the other. You know, if it fails over here, it's going to fail over there. And so we're seeing that.
1: According to EIA.gov, the coal production is the lowest that it's been since 1965. Now, the 2020 number, which is the latest that I was able to find, Production was 28% lower than 2019.
0: Well, you know, because 2020 is that marker year oh, of complete lockdown and shutdown.
1: But you know, it's going to get worse.
0: Well, that's what we're hearing.
1: Well, John Kerry, who is the U.S. Special Envoy for Climate, said these words. By 2030, in the U.S., we won't have coal. We will not have coal plants. He also said the Biden administration plans to put the coal industry out of business by 2030. And then he clarified by saying, we're saying that we will be carbon free in the power sector by 2035.
0: I can imagine those remarks did not go over too well in states like West Virginia and Kentucky.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. they've already been shut down because of this. But And not just this time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, Bloomberg has started a campaign to close a quarter of the world's coal plants by 2025. And also halting the development of new gas-fired plants. Even though the administration recently lost a SCOTUS case, a Supreme Court case that dealt with energy, they're still planning to shut down coal. And they're doing that through the EPA. Now, what they're doing is increasing regulations on the local plants, and those local plants don't measure up to the new regulations. And what sane person or company is going to put a billion dollars into a coal plant that the administration has said that we will be out of business by 2030?
0: Yeah. I mean, what they're basically handing them their obsolescence.
1: Exactly. And so, what they, and actually, they call it expedited retirement.
0: Well, that sounds nicer than
1: get out. We're shutting you down. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal of the current administrations. And these regulations are cost prohibitive to upfit some of these plants to bring them into compliance.
0: So, they want to force the end of the use of fossil fuels and then to a hundred percent switch over to renewable green energy.
1: Yeah. And what they're doing is they're trading one for the other. They're exchanging cheap, reliable energy for expensive, unproven energy. Now there are those that say it's proven. And you know, I, I do understand solar and wind, but not on the scale that they're talking about. That's not been proven. And it's dangerous for the country, and it will severely hurt the average working family.
0: It's really not a fair trade. It's not. It's like finding out that your kid swapped your um, one-of-a-kind Mickey Mantle baseball card for five magic beans. You know, it's that's not a fair trade. And the green energy of today is kind of based on fossil fuel technology, Like, they talk about battery power. Well, batteries don't generate power. They store power for use.
1: Exactly. But
0: power does not come from batteries. Exactly. And so, when the coal and the oil and the natural gas has been forced out, what are batteries supposed to live on? Wind and
1: solar. Wind and solar.
0: Two- elements that are proven unreliable on a constancy. Mm -hmm. You you can't get the air and the sunlight to cooperate on an ongoing basis.
1: Nope. And the problem is that wind and solar are not yet ready to carry the electrical grid.
0: Especially the windmills. They're they're constantly failing. They've created a whole kind of havoc across the nation.
1: Yeah, and you would think that the environmentalist would actually be against those because of the number of birds that are being killed by those windmills.
0: And the amount of noise pollution. Mm -hmm. People can't be anywhere near those, or certainly can't live near those windmills. And
1: as I understand, those turbine blades are not—
0: They don't biodegrade.
1: They don't biodegrade, and they're (laughs) not recyclable.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's a one and done. They
1: live their life out, and then they go to the great landfill.
0: You know, current green energy is a technology that's based on fossil fuels. So the destruction of this source of power is puzzling, to say the least. Wind and solar technology have built-in failures when the air power or the sunlight are not operating at constant levels. So does it make any sense to do away with the reliable energy sources that are already in place? Not at all. mm
1: Now, America has curtailed its carbon emissions back to single-digit percentages, and they were last seen at 5%, and that's in stark contrast to China and India, and both of those nations are polluting at a whopping 50% plus with no end in sight. Our politicians and experts demand that we must do much more to end climate-killing carbon emissions. It's it's ludicrous. ludicrous.
0: (laughs) You're right. (laughs) You know, according to an organization called ZME Science, they state that at the current rates of production, oil will run out of America in 53 years, natural gas in 54 years, and coal in 110 years. And this is bearing in mind a World Energy Outlook study that came out in 2015 by the International Energy Agency, and they predicted that fossil fuels will constitute 59% of the total primary energy demand in the year 2040, even despite aggressive climate action policies.
1: Now, it's not that we are against climate action policies.
0: No, we're not we're not saying that at all.
1: What we're saying is let's take this at a reasonable rate and let's ease into this and let's don't get rid of our coal-fired plants until we have alternative energy operating and reliable.
0: Yeah, it makes you kind of wonder, how are we supposed to reasonably transition? from current energy sources over to renewable green energy. Now, with the reports coming out of these states that are going to have rolling blackouts and uh, regular brownouts, will blackouts and brownouts now become a standard operating procedure?
1: Well, they have seemed to, over a number of years, some states have required rolling blackouts because of their lack of capacity.
0: Well, you know, if we flip all the way over to renewable green energy, what are the uh, what are the actual dollar costs on the average household going to become? You know, these are questions we can't answer right now, but I'm asking them. You know, I'm asking them now. All we can offer today is for you, the listener, to do your own research, ask your own questions. Make sure your information isn't tinged by political bent or from technology that is not yet proven. You know, get some real data.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're in one of these areas that has rolling blackouts, you may seriously want to consider, if you do not already have one, a generator.
0: Right. Now, we're not, you know, we're sponsored by any generators, but we now have one because it could happen here.
1: Yes. I mean, we're in North Alabama, and we're not we're not really expecting a brownout or a blackout here because we have a nuclear plant not that far away. And we have a hydroelectric dam not too much further away. So we're fed two ways into this area. And so we're not as concerned about that as we are here, storm damage taking us off of the electrical grid for three to four weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it's three to four days, we're going to drag that generator out. If it's three to four hours, we may ride it out. But if it's going to go a long time, we're going to pull that thing out. And some of these blackouts may last hours or days.
0: Yeah, we just don't know.
1: So we just encourage you to have an electrical. Power source. Power source. Yeah. <laughs> have, have, have an electrical alternative plan. You That's know, what I was trying to say. Personal
0: power plant.
1: <laughs> Let's take just a second and mention our sponsors our sponsors today are Proline Digital Group. They're the ones that provide all of the web services for practical prepping.
0: And also Jim Curtis Knives, the custom knife builder, lifetime sharpening, lifetime warranty.
1: And Clean Start. Clean Start is a hand sanitizer and antiseptic all in one. I carry it every day, and we've used it several times even today.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely, and also the base handgun training system.
1: And if you've not had formal handgun training, this is the handgun training system that you need to get. It's online, and it will help you immensely. Let's just take this a little bit further, and they're talking about how we could all switch over to these electrical vehicles. My question is, where does the electricity come from for these electrical vehicles.
0: Where is it coming from now?
1: Now. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Where's uh-huh. it come from now? So these electrical vehicles are coal-fired, or they're nuclear-powered, or they're hydroelectric. They're coming from the current grid. Mm-hmm. The current grid is under strain to the degree that we may have to have blackouts.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, we haven't even fully swapped over yet, too. Well,
1: there's not that many electric vehicles on the road. Now, what if we took 25 percent? If 25 percent of the vehicles on the road went off the road and were replaced by electric vehicles, they have to be charged. Yes. That puts additional strain on the electrical grid. So we're going to have to have that electrical grid powered up much greater than it is at this point to be able to support the additional load. Now, I just want to look at some electrical vehicles for a few minutes and look at some of the facts about these things. This is what I've looked at. We already know they're expensive. We know they're very expensive. Prohibitively. For us, Mm -hmm. definitely prohibitively. Mm -hmm. They'll cost you as much or more than a brand new, fully loaded $60,000 pickup truck which is ridiculous in itself. But anyway, now here's another thing to think about these electric vehicles. They have batteries, so they're best stored in temperature-controlled areas.
0: So you can't park it out on the street in the middle of Canada?
1: If it's going to be 10 below, that's going to be detrimental to the battery.
0: Yikes. That's a... How
1: do you jump off an electrical vehicle? Hmm. Okay. So, and, you know, I understand that there are ways electrically to keep those motors warm, and I guess you could do it with the batteries as well. Diesel drivers do it all the time. But hot and cold can be detrimental to a battery.
0: That's going to be a very interesting problem to solve.
1: The two times that we have the most trouble with batteries being dead is in the heat of the summer and the cold of the winter. Right. All right. Let's look at some things. And I did a lot of research on this. I've researched this for several days. And the national average cost per kilowatt hour is 11 cents.
0: Okay.
1: Now, in Nevada, which seems to be the cheapest, that is 8 cents. And in California, it's 19 cents.
0: Okay.
1: That's per kilowatt hour. And that's how this Recharging is measured. Now, there are three levels of charging stations. The one that comes with your car, you plug into your existing electricity. It's 120 volt. That's what comes with the vehicle. And it takes up to 20 hours to fully charge the battery.
0: Wow, that's almost a whole day.
1: (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. It's longer than we get from the time we get home until we have to leave again the next morning. Now, there's good news with that in a minute. Okay. Based on Colorado, remember we said $0.08 to $0.19 in Nevada and California. So I'm using Colorado figures, which is a kilowatt hour is $0.13 13 per kilowatt hour. Using Colorado figures, it costs you $3.55 to drive 100 miles. If you get the charger installed, a Level 2, that cuts that time by more than half, a Level 2 home charger will charge it to a full charge in 7 to 10 hours. The equipment for a Level 2 charger costs between $400 and $6,000, depending on what model you get and where you are. Mm-hmm. The installation costs between six hundred dollars, and the upward number I found was twelve thousand dollars. With the average installation being five to six thousand dollars for a two hundred and forty volt level two charger that will let it charge to a hundred percent in seven to ten hours.
0: But that doesn't even take into account the cost of the actual electricity.
1: No, no,
0: that's just a that's just a get up to that level two.
1: That's to get that in, installed. Now, Holy smoke. in either of these chargers, jumping ahead here, but the increased cost of electricity per month based on the average driving by the average American is going to raise the price 30 to $60 per month with either of these two chargers based on the kilowatt hours. Now, let's take a little trip. Some of you know that we went to North Carolina over the 4th of July holiday to see one of the grandsons, mm-hmm. and we drove 1,050 miles round trip total. Now, let's do a little bit of math on this thing. So,
0: let's translate that to electric right. numbers.
1: A 480-volt public charging station, that's going to cost you between fifty dollars to $60,000 to put that in.
0: When you say a public charging station,
1: we went to the zoo up in North Carolina, and there were three or four electric vehicles there pulled up to chargers. Those are public chargers.
0: So this would be like the city would buy them, or a private business. A private would buy business. Them. Okay.
1: Eventually, you're going to see them at service stations with restaurants.
0: So fifty to sixty grand for a single for the
1: piece of equipment,
0: just for the equipment, just the for public. the equipment. Okay,
1: and I have no idea what it costs to do an installation on a 440-volt charging station. Holy It's going to be expensive. Uh And you put your credit card in or you put your account number in. There's several ways. There's subscription. There's monthly. There's pay-by-the-minute, you know, pay-by-the-kilowatt in Mm. some places, and that seems to be the better. But those seem to charge between $0.40 and $0.70 per kilowatt-hours. But now let's look at per minute. The absolute lowest I found was one company and they only serve one vehicle and they charge four cents a minute for charging their vehicle. Now, they don't have that many charging stations, so I wouldn't do a cross country in that one. But the one that will charge most every other one out there can charge up to a dollar and a half per minute. Wowie. With 32 cents being a very common number that I found on what it cost to charge at these public charging stations. Wow. That charger will charge up to 80% in 20 to 40 minutes. So you could go in, you could put your credit card in, you could plug it in, you could go in and eat and come back, discharge, disconnect it and go on down the road. Now, when we look at the distances, I looked at a number of vehicles and the distances they get, and they all seem to now be getting over 200 miles per charge, with the average being around 300 miles per charge. Let's say that you go and use a level three public charger, and you fill it to 80% or thereabouts, and it takes 40 minutes, and that's $1.32 a minute using our average, you spent $52.80 to recharge your electric vehicle so you can continue on. And that comes out to 17.6 cents per mile. Let's take that same 300 miles and take our Jeep that we were in, which we get 30 miles per gallon. I'm anal about tracking our mileage, and I won't even let, if you're driving, I won't let you leave the, the, the pump until you give me the mileage because I want to know how much mileage we got. And across this trip, we got right at 30 miles per gallon. A lot of vehicles have higher gas mileages, smaller vehicles, of course, and there are some hybrids that get even more mileage, and you don't have to plug those hybrids in. It's a totally different technology. And we paid an average of $4.17 per gallon on our trip. So, 30 miles per gallon, 300 miles. 10 gallons, $4.17, we came out to $41.70 for 300 miles, or about $0.14 per mile.
0: Quite a bit lower. Let me ask you this question, trying to compare apples to apples. Our gas vehicle that we drove from here to North Carolina was fully heavily loaded. We had suitcases. We had supplies. That Jeep was heavy. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, will an electric-powered vehicle suffer under the strain of a heavy load? Will it get less efficiency if it's heavily loaded?
1: It will be less efficient.
0: So, if we were trying to do the same trip fully loaded with all that weight in an electric vehicle, we could expect lesser numbers?
1: Probably. Somewhat. Probably so. That's reasonable. So, I'm just saying 300 miles. Now, if we were not loaded... The way we were we would have probably gotten about 34 gallon 34 miles to the gallon so i'm real happy with that Mm -hmm. now look at the distances when you look at traveling long distance it's more expensive to travel in an electrical vehicle than it is a gas-powered vehicle
0: it'll certainly cost more time
1: it'll cost more time but i I can't say that because we'll stop and eat we'll go in some place and eat And so we could leave, we're looking at what, 450 miles driveway to driveway. And so we could drive about half of that, leave on a full charge, drive about half of that, go somewhere, let it charge while we go in and eat, come back out and it's ready to continue on. And our trip time would come out about the same.
0: Yes, but our charging expense is going to be.
1: Our expense is going to be more (laughs) than gasoline. Uh Now, Gasoline vehicles do have a higher lifetime maintenance cost. You have more things in there. Yeah. The electrical vehicle runs off of electrical motors, and that's it, really. And in an automobile that's gasoline-powered, you have motors, and you have pumps, and you have different things in there, which I'm sure you'll have some of that on the electrical vehicle because you're going to be running air conditioning, heating, things like that that is over the lifetime of the vehicle depending on the vehicle that's another three to ten thousand dollars that you would save with an electrical vehicle
0: yeah but it costs most electrical vehicles are going to cost you more than three to ten thousand dollars to purchase outright
1: oh yes Mm -hmm. oh yes so you're really not much much more you're you're going to save in maintenance (laughs) you're going to pay a whole lot more in the beginning Uh but you're going to save in the maintenance well okay
0: yeah Jim Curtis, Jim Curtis Knives. Jim has been making custom-crafted knives for several years. He does create some of the most beautiful blades and handles together that I've ever seen. And a lot of our uh, podcast viewers go to Facebook and they go to Jim Curtis Knives on his Facebook page and they view some of his handcrafted work. I personally have purchased two of his knives to give as gifts to Mark and Mark absolutely cherishes them and does use them. He enjoys being able to use a good sharp knife for any type of application he would need a knife for. And they're nice and sharp. They're beautifully crafted, Damascus steel and gorgeous handles. So Jim Curtis can either make a knife for you to order or you can select from some that he has already created. And on his Facebook page, he also indicates the markets and shops that also carry some of his ready-made, beautifully handcrafted knives. They come with a lifetime guarantee. They come with a lifetime sharpening. He'll even send you the knife with two Band-Aids because they are that sharp. So check out Jim Curtis custom-crafted hand crafted beautiful knives.
1: We look at local travel. The Department of Transportation estimates that the average American drives 40 miles per day. Okay. With a level one charger, that electrical cost would be about $30 to $60 additional per month, depending on where you are and the cost of the electricity. And for most folks especially living in or near the city, that 40 miles a day will cover them to work and back and run some errands, and they're still well below that 300 mile. So with that level one charger, it would serve somebody who travels very few miles. Now, there's also a registration of that vehicle. Now, you have to go through and get the tag and everything, but at the registration of an electric vehicle, there is an infrastructure maintenance fee.
0: What does that mean?
1: Well, since you're not paying for the roads through gasoline taxes, they've got to get your share through something else.
0: Interesting.
1: Because part of our gasoline tax goes to maintaining our roads. Sure enough does. And let's just be fair here. Let's let them pay their fair share, too. So they're going to charge them, depending on the state, from $50 to $200 per year for using an electrical vehicle
0: Hmm. for
1: not Using gasoline.
0: Got it. Remember now, 40% of the United States electricity comes from coal plants. Yep. The electrical grid is already strained, and the alternative energy is not yet ready to handle this load. I think these deadlines that some of the politicians have thrown out there, you know, I want this done by 2030, by 2035, and so these initiatives... To get this going. I'm not sure anybody's gonna really hit that target the way they think they're gonna hit mm-hmm. it, but they're all making noises like, well, we're we're trying, we're doing some some research. But now, now yeah. go
1: back and look at the numbers that we've compared here today, they're based on today's gasoline prices. Mm-hmm. Now, gasoline was less than half of what it is now year and a half, two years ago. Right. What would the numbers do there? That would make the electric vehicle much more expensive, even on the average cost, especially if you're looking at traveling with one. What we're really saying here is giving you the information that we found out. We became really curious about what this was going to do. And we honestly, our thinking on this was okay, it takes eight or more hours to charge. and we're doing a trip that takes us 450 miles one way, or 426, I think it is, one way. And you get 300 miles per charge, and it's going to take eight hours. So our initial thinking was, we're going to have to have a hotel each way. So a four-day trip, we're going to have to spend two nights in a hotel and only have two nights of visitation.
0: Yeah, And so
1: smart. that's what made us start digging into some Thankfully, that's not the case. You know, if if we all changed over, we could still make the trip in one day to get there, but it would be expensive.
0: Wow. You know, I've always sort of viewed a vehicle as a tool for my usage at my convenience. What you're describing is we will become enslaved to the tool. We will become pawns of the vehicle.
1: Hadn't thought of that.
0: I mean, think about it. It won't be considered a convenience. It's going to be considered more of a taskmaster. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to bow and serve the electrical grid and the vehicle parameters. And we will, you know, you talked about when we make the trip that we stop and we, yeah, we stop because we want to. Mm-hmm. We stop when we want to. And we leave when we want to. If we have to stop and we have to to charge up for 40 minutes at you know fifty five dollars a pop and we need to do that and if we're heavily loaded in an electrical vehicle who knows that might require more stopping so this is not voting well I'm just speaking for myself. Again, I'm not against renewable technologies that work and so serve I'm all people. All for it. All for it, not against it. But at what we're being sold in terms of what we think we're supposed to accept and be happy with, I'm not on board at mm-hmm. this point. I'm telling you, I'm not on board.
1: Well, you know, somebody, one of those politicians said, well, buy an electric car. Well, that's well over a year's salary for some folks.
0: Excellent. I don't know if they're trying to drive people over to public transportation. And will, you know, trucks, RVs, buses, airplanes, will they go electric? I mean, what's the thinking there?
1: The university in our nearby city here has their university buses are electric, but they do stay on campus.
0: Well, yeah, that's a very limited right. run. Right, makes sense.
1: And so they can drive them for an eight-hour shift, and then they park it for sixteen hours till they come back the next day. And there, there, there's a number of buses there, so they have several running. But they are all electric, and I'd be curious to see what the long term outcome of their vehicle maintenance is.
0: Yeah. So, I guess part of the message for today's podcast is if you're living in a community somewhere and you get notice from your utility company that you're going to have low voltage or no voltage for a while, it's, you know, they're doing this because. The grids are strained, mm-hmm. and they're already strained, and, you know, we just we don't have to like it, but we may have to accept it.
1: Yeah, and we've seen some times where one plant would go offline accidentally, and that would put another strain, you know, the rest of the grid had to pick up that load, and then I think the largest I've seen is six stations go offline, and made a very large blackout for Mm -hmm. 20-something hours, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Folks, we appreciate you being here with us today, and we certainly look forward to being back with you next time. And until then, we certainly want you to stay safe and... Stuff happens, so please stay prepared. And we'll see you next time.